Hello, everybody, and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. I'm down here in lovely Austin, Texas this week to talk about our City of the Future event. City of the Future was announced by Z Prime in 2018 with the realization that today, more than ever, people have an unprecedented ability to create the future lives and communities we want to live in or call home. Not technology, policy, or global corporations, but people. And so we had a conference this past week in San Antonio, Texas, where we partnered with CPS Energy to put on a two-day conference at the Tobin Center. And we had many speakers talk about these issues. So I've got our research team assembled here today to delve into some of the talks we enjoyed. Joining me, as always, is my co-host Aaron Hardick. How are you today, Aaron? I'm doing good today, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic because I'm here in Austin. We've got back Aaron Otan. How's it going, Aaron? Hi, Dylan. It's going well. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Always happy to have you. Chris Moyer is here as well. Uh, happy to have you here, Chris. It's great to be in Austin. We've had a fantastic couple of days in San Antonio, and I'm happy to be back on the pod. We were in San Antonio for our City of the Future event. It was a two-day event where we talked about smart cities and what cities in the future are going to ultimately look like and who's going to be building and driving innovation in them. So uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, it's just general impressions. How do you think, how do you think it went? What did you like? Overall, I think the event went really well. The first day we were expecting a large crowd. And then the second day we weren't really sure. Um, we knew it was going to be a little bit smaller, but we had a fantastic turnout. And I think the conversation across both days uh, was meaningful and valuable for the attendees who were there. It was largely San Antonio based, but we did have you know, people from uh, the region as well. Uh, but I think overall, the conversations were valuable and we had a lot of good uh, perspectives in them. So I, it, it was a great event. I'd like to echo that. I do think that this was a, first of all, this was a wonderful event. Could not have done it without CPS Energy, the municipal utility in San Antonio, one of the, the uh, leaders in large public power. We did have a, a, a great contingent from around the United States and uh, guests from Australia, Canada. Uh, it, this was just a, a really great global perspective that we then were able to drill down into the, the local Texas perspective and see what each individual city is doing to help uh, serve their, their citizens and their population better. And that's, that's the second thing that, that I think makes this different than your traditional smart cities event. We didn't want to focus even on the, the term smart city. We tried to avoid that as much as possible because I think that abdicates responsibility for uh, city leaders, uh, technologists, the utility company, tr the transportation system. When you, when you do that, it's not people focused. It's technology focused. So yeah, the, the event was based in, the event was based in San Antonio. Uh, and there was, you know, there were people from all over, but there were, there was a lot, there was a lot of focus on the work that's being done in San Antonio. Uh, Aaron Otan, what did we learn about San Antonio as a city and as a leader in building cities of the future? Um, well, several people who were not from San Antonio who were on some of the panels kept talking about how they were so surprised um, at the work that San Antonio has been doing. Um, they're, you know, 
actually a larger city than I think most people realize. We we learned that they're the seventh largest city in the U.S. Um, and they have taken a proactive stance to be really forward thinking when it comes to to making themselves and positioning themselves as a city of the future. Yeah. So what Aaron mentioned, I also learned that San Antonio was the seventh largest city in the U.S. It, it really did blow my mind. I said, whoa, out loud when I read that because I'm from Dallas. Is that Dallas. your Dallas bias right there? It's absolutely my Dallas bias. Every every Texas city has their own bias. And I thought that both, uh, you know, Houston, which is larger than San Antonio, but I thought Dallas and even Austin were both larger than San Antonio. But that turns out not to not be true. But one thing that uh, Mayor Ron Nirenberg said regarding this, which I think relates to um, the, the main purpose of having this event in San Antonio is that the current demographic makeup of San Antonio is very diverse and it forces them to think about inclusivity. Um, and so that's why what happens here is going to be largely replicated across the US because cities are going to start seeing their demographic makeup look very similar to what San Antonio's does today. And so you'll be able to scale some of these solutions because they will be more inclusive because San Antonio is serving such a diverse, um, so, so many diverse customers uh, right now. If there was one thing that, that I learned about San Antonio coming in, incredible diversity that the city has. I think what is shaping it out to be one of those truly great American cities and, and why Mayor Nuremberg and Paula Gold Williams, the CEO of uh, CPS Energy and so many other leaders that we got to talk to uh, really are excited about what's to come in Central Texas, in San Antonio, as we look forward. How do cities create accessibility for all of their people, all of their citizens? It can't just be the technology first approach because there is a digital divide in San Antonio as there are in, in many other cities, uh, but technology can be a, a crucial component. Well, I think we need to take a step back uh, and, and look at the, the concept of urbanization as, as the broader point. Just within the next 11 years, we're adding 1 billion people to urban population centers. This type of human migration is going to cause all kinds of strains and stresses on existing infrastructure, transportation systems, energy systems, water systems. And so this is why we need to be having this conversation right now. This is, this is on the mind of, of every city leader. What's special about this conversation was uh, instead, of it, instead of just focusing on, again, that nomenclature of smart, focusing on the people first and how their cultural contribution is ultimately going to, to drive the city's success. How are, how are various cities demonstrating leadership in this space outside of cities? Chris mentioned that a lot of cities are thinking about this, but like uh, they're approaching it really in different ways. Uh, Phil Nevels was at the conference. He actually was formerly at ComEd, but now part of Exelon. And he was talking about a project that's going on in ComEd's territory where they're actually building a new microgrid 
with the intention of connecting it to an existing microgrid, I believe, at the Illinois Institute of Technology. So they're, they're building a control platform that will allow those two microgrids to communicate with each other because that's how they feel in their community is the right way to move forward with smart city initiatives. I think one of the other things he said was that they're exploring non-wire alternatives with the intention of potentially in the future overlaying peer-to-peer -peer transactions on those. So setting the foundation for hopefully creating a transactive energy type of platform or community. So that was really the one, the one other person that kind of stuck out to me who clearly stated some of the projects they have going on within their smart city initiative. We're doing this event talking about building cities of the future. We're talking about smart cities and, you know, CPS energy is there helping us do it. And this might show my naivety, my naivete. Why is it assumed that the utility is the one driving and working to build the city of the future rather than like a city, city government for the citizens? Like we, the, the second day was shifted focus, but there's still a lot that the utility is supposed to be in charge of, or does it just seem that way because this is an energy conference? I would say I do think that our perspective is slightly skewed because we started we started looking at this area from the energy avenue. That's how we got into smart cities, us as Z primers. And so, yes, I do think that we probably perceive it as being driven by utility a little more than others do. But I do think that utilities across the board have a play a larger role than maybe some other industries or areas of municipalities because they they serve such a fundamental purpose. You can't move forward without the utility. They have to be there and they have to play a large role. But I, I do think that maybe we we assume that they play a the biggest role all the time. That may not be the case, uh, but they, they play a big role because they have to. I think you're right. And I think CPS realizes that and embraces it because they actually came to us and wanted to have this conversation. Um, they were, you know, the co-host of this whole Smart City event, um, and they really embraced the fact that and want to be the ones driving the Smart City, uh, City of the Future changes in the city of San Antonio. Uh, to build off both Aaron's points right there, as you look about the, as you look at what makes up a city from a foundational building block level, it's, it's going to be energy, it's going to be water, and it's going to be buildings and your transportation network. Now, in the 21st century, we've added a, an advanced telecommunication system to that as well. And that's that quote-unquote smart component of the city. None of this happens without energy, though. And so, yes, do we have an energy-centric focus at Z-Prime? Uh, absolutely. But... If whether you're a municipally owned utility like CPS Energy or Austin Energy uh, or SMUD, or you're a co-op or an IOU with a different service territory, energy is going to be at the heart of, of every municipal discussion that needs to be had. So, yes, we need to focus on how we integrate these various disparate systems. We need to focus on how we, we use technology, but without energy, none of this happens. Aaron Otan, based on what we, you, you heard over the last two days, what are some of the most important things to keep in mind when strategizing for a city of the future? Um, I think 
One thing that continue continuously came up in the panel discussions was um, community engagement. Um, go back to my point now. Ben Meek from Parramatta, Australia, um, a smaller city outside of Sydney um, from Utiligent, talked about redoing the master plan for their city and this time actually including the citizens. They didn't want a master plan done to them. They wanted a master plan done for them and with them. Uh, so that was one thing that, that I, I kept hearing throughout the two days that I thought was really important. There's definitely, yes, this large focus on human-centered design. How do we start to put the human back in the center of things and not make it just about technology? So I was actually fortunate enough to moderate a panel where we talked about this. How do you incorporate more human-centered design into the products that cities are using in their communities? So previously, I think, kind of leading up to this point, it's just a lot of vendors that are trying to push these products to cities, to municipalities saying, this will do this, this, and this for the people of the city. But nobody was really thinking through these things and how uh, the community would interact with the technology and what, what if it actually did bring benefits. But now both the vendors and the cities are starting to think about, well, I, I need to understand how this plays a larger role in the community. How can it create value in other ways by thinking about the, the person and not just technology? Absolutely, and I think the way to do that is, is by putting the right people in place and by creating uh, systems within your city government, within your utility, uh, water, power, whatever it is within your transportation network that focuses on the people and that focuses on the environment and that focuses on uh, innovation. And so this is where I want to give San Antonio a, a, a great deal of credit because they have a chief sustainability officer. They have a chief innovation officer at, in San Antonio. They're partnering with CPS Energy and their, their counterparts at CPS Energy focusing on the environment, focusing on sustainability, focusing on expanding access to the community. And this is, this is not something that is only going to be able to happen in a city with one and a half million people. You can have 200,000 people, you can have 50,000 people, you can have 25,000 people and actually have some uh, advantages because you're small and nimble and responsive to the citizens of your community. But having those types of people in place that are dedicated to listening and innovating is absolutely crucial. I definitely did hear a lot about tailoring, uh, tailoring solutions, planning, and design around the people. Chris, you had a you had a talk with uh, Hodge Flemings from Rebrand Cities. He made a big point about uh, working at, from a community perspective tell the story of cities. It's not about the buildings or the, the lights or, or the landmarks. It's, it's the story of a city is the story of its people. And I think that that's a good way of going about strategizing for these kinds of cities in the future. We also heard, uh, we also heard from uh, Zubi Anwuta and uh, Elise Roy, who are both uh, disability activists, talking about human-centric design from the, from the perspective of enabling people, people who are people who are disabled, even people who aren't, just to be able to allow people to uh, better contribute and drive innovation. The common thread there is, is people. 
but I'm going to break that apart really quickly um, and, and take that one at a time. If you look at the talk that Hans Flemings gave to us yesterday about culture and creativity being the a fundamental element of, of what a city is and what makes a city special. Uh, what, what, he was, what he was really driving at was expanding the, uh, the voices that are, that are part of that conversation and incentivizing creativity as, as a city tries to create a unique identity. And that's very special. I think Hodge was making this point. We don't all want to be San Francisco, and we don't all want to be New York or San Antonio or Detroit or Sydney, Australia. Each city gets to be a, a, a unique and special place that serves its citizens. Spokane, Raleigh, you name it. Uh, building that cultural creativity through its people is, is essential. And that's that through point on to what Zuby and, and Elise were talking about. Between 20% and one quarter of, of all humans have some degree of disability. And we don't think about that necessarily. Um, when we think about disability, we often think about uh, you know, blindness or uh, hearing loss, something or, or, or potentially uh, immobility. But there's, there's degrees and gradations of this. And we haven't really designed our, our places to help that 20 to 25 percent of the world's population move about the world in, in an effective way. So all voices need to be heard when, when we have these conversations about building a, a city into the future. And Hodge actually started that presentation showing a slide that had a quote from Jane Jacobs that said, cities have the capacity of providing something for everybody only because and only when they are created by everyone. And yes, it, it does really tie into what uh, Elise and Zuby were talking about. And Elise brought up this point, and that is, uh, I think she said like, you're foolish to not capitalize on people with disabilities because the unique way that they perceive and interact with the world allows them to develop different skills than the rest of us. And so they can think more inclusively about how to design cities because they have a different experience than people who don't have disabilities. And I think that's really brings back to the point, you have to have the people of the city build the city in order for it to function and, and be valuable and, and enjoyable for everyone living in the city. One of my favorite things that Elise said was designing for average is useless and that we really need to design uh, to the extreme because that's what's really going to to ensure that we um, continue to move forward and continue to develop our, our cities. I kind of want to shift to a related but different topic, which is data. Aaron Hardick, what did we learn about data at this conference? So, I mean, I think we talked a lot about data, data privacy, data security. Um, one of my favorite talks around data was between uh, Emily Royal and Bianca Wiley, who is out of Toronto, and she has very forward-looking, uh, forward ideas on how to use data, but also um, make sure that citizens of the community are protected. And, and she said two things, I think, that really resonated with me. And that was that in order to make a secure data environment, we need to take 
uh, we need to extend existing human rights frameworks into the digital environment. So I think it gives people a better idea of how to create some sort of ethical framework around how to use data, because that's largely just talked about pretty abstractly right now. I don't think anybody kind of has like an idea. Nobody really has a strategy to say, we need to create an ethical framework around these things and we're going to do it by doing this, this and this. I think the conversation right now is just like, we need to do it. And it ends there. The other thing that she said was um, around human behavioral data. Uh, and she said, that's not the place to go fast. And that's in reference to creating policy and framework around human behavioral data. That's where it gets really, you get into the nitty gritty of encroaching on people's privacy and people don't really understand the extent at which their data is being used and collected. So making sure that we don't try to just rush forward and then put ourselves in a really bad position two to three years from now from very poorly crafted policy around something that we just don't really generally understand well enough to create policy around. She also did make the point that there are areas where we should move quickly. She was definitely not not anti-business um, areas like uh, geospatial data, environmental data, where we should move quickly to enact legislation that actually allows us to, to use that data and use new technologies to leverage the data. Um, so I really liked that she made those, those two um, sort of separations. That's, yeah, that's exactly right, Erin. She said IIoT data and industrial Internet of Things data is the safe space. It's a lot of de-identified data. And we can start to use that today to start to, to, start to uh, mitigate some of the challenges we're seeing around climate change and uh, other, other things that are affecting cities. Well, I, I think that that's a great point, Aaron. As we look at IIoT data, which is de-identified and, and not specific to, to human being, avoiding that creepiness factor, helping a city build trust with, with their community. Uh, this allows us to, to leverage data in the energy space and the transportation network uh, to, to create more livable spaces. And I think that that's absolutely a cru crucial element of creating a healthy uh vibrant community. We're going to need to transform our energy system. It's going to need to become cleaner, more distributed, more renewable. We're going to need to transform our uh, transportation system that expands access and mobility in a, a environmentally friendly way. Um, so I, I think that, that data is going to be at the heart of, of both of those uh, efforts to modernize. And then, of course, the other big thing that people are talking about in regards to the city of the future, especially in San Antonio, is mobility: electric vehicles, electric scooters, uh, all these kind, all these kinds of uh, developments to create a create a more mobile populace and reduce aggravating uh, aggravating Texas traffic. What consensus did people come to in regards to innovations in transportation? One consensus was that, um, I mean, electrification of transportation is happening and the city supports it. They just still need to figure out exactly how to integrate it. Like we've talked about a lot on this podcast and at Z Prime in general. Um, Can the distribution network handle an increase in increasing load of, of electric vehicles? That's the question right now. Mm -hmm. 
But I think in general, people are excited about the electrification of transportation, um, microtransit. There's, San Antonio seems to have way more scooters per capita than Austin, which was surprising to me. So I think they're, they're definitely still figuring out um, the best way to figure out the best way to incorporate scooters into their overall transit plans. Um, but that was my takeaway is that people are excited about EVs. So, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway regarding EVs and AVs and avian transportation uh, city of the future is that electrifying transportation is one of the best places for public-private partnerships. We saw Paula Gold-Williams say this, saying that they're exploring expanding infrastructure, but she believes that charging is the private sector's job and that they're going to partner uh, with, uh, and that CPS intends to partner with the private sector to uh, expand their charging inf infrastructure. And then the other thing um, that a CPS executive said, which was Chris Eugster, um, he said that they did a calculation and if every vehicle in San Antonio was an electric vehicle, they would increase the load by 20%. But that wasn't too much for them. And so electrification is the common denominator for powering cities and communities. So while there can be in some communities, that level of EV penetration would cause load to be, it would drive it too high. In San Antonio, that's not the case. So they are very heavily exploring um, electrification of transportation because it makes the most sense for them um, within their smart cities initiative as being one of those big driving cornerstones for pushing out more smart cities projects. Yeah, that was a great point that Chris had made. And I, and I think that part of why San Antonio is able to, to accommodate an entirely electric vehicle uh, transportation system would be because San Antonio and much of Texas has an oversupply of energy. That's, and this is exactly what you were trying to say. That, and this is exactly what you were saying, Aaron, that uh, not, every not every municipality, not every locality, not every service territory of a utility has that, that abundance of cheap power. As we look broadly about the, the transition of communities and cities affect, impacted by EVs and electric vehicles. This goes back to that, that data uh, conversation. And one of the, the most interesting things that, that I heard uh, was the really exhortation that it's time that, that we need to create a, uh, a framework from a regulatory and policy perspective around data and around AV, EV, uh, policy. Specifically, what was said was it's pitchfork and torches time uh, where people need to get out into the streets and, and demand this because what we are seeing right now is this hodgepodge approach in different localities to how we handle transportation. What's going to happen uh, when we have 10% uh, of the fleet that's autonomous? 15% uh, of it's that, that, that it's electric. How are, how are these vehicles going to interact with 
the, the current ecosystem that, that's in place right now? That's the question. And, and if we don't have good policy, if we don't have a lot of data on it, it's going to be messy for the next two, three, five, ten years in this transitionary period. If we create, if we use data to create the, the right framework for electrification and for the transition to autonomous vehicles, we're going to be in a lot better position to understand the implications related to, to the movement of people. Tim Woods from the Autonomous Vehicles Alliance mentioned that people just assume that AVs will be EVs and it's just it, whether it's media perception or, or, or what, but people just assume that EVs are coming um, and that autonomous vehicles are coming. And then um, on that thread of aut autonomous vehicles, one thing I thought was that was really interesting, I had never really thought about before, but Guy Dietrich from Cisco in his presentation talked about the port of Rotterdam, how they're building um, a digital twin of the port and they're working to, to be able to accept autonomous ships um, to deliver cargo. Um, so that's, I think, something that at Z Prime we focus so much on energy. We sort of think about the, the electrification and how the autonomous vehicles and, and electric vehicles will directly affect our grid. Um, but, so that was something that I think we got a little bit outside of our box um, to bring in that overall smart city conversation and talk about um, cargo ships. That's interesting, and I that you bring that up the ships, Aaron, because and I feel bad. I don't remember who exactly said this, but it really is we're experiencing all this congestion because of the way our society is now so much focused on the movement of people and the movement of goods. How everything being so instant with Amazon and uh, just all these customer experiences being so instantaneous, the movement of goods is causing so much congestion. So from an autonomous vehicle perspective, how can we relieve congestion by moving not just people more efficiently, but also goods as well? Yeah, those are great, great points all around. Uh, we're just about out of time. Uh, lightning round question. One, what's, a, what's your one word takeaway from this event? Listening. Inclusivity. Partnerships. People is the one I'm going with. And with that, we're putting a nice bow on City of the Future. But this is just the start of these conversations about cities and people and transportation and data. And we're going to be putting out a, a lot of content over the next couple of weeks uh, talking more about the things that we've learned here. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I want to thank my guests, Aaron Otan. Thank you, Dylan. Chris Moyer. Pleasure to be here. And Aaron Hardick. Thanks, Dylan. Big thanks, of course, to CPS Energy for partnering with us and making this event an enormous success. You can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. We're on social media at zprime underscore research, at dy lockwood, at aaron underscore hardick, at chris underscore moyer13, at aaron otan. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Bye.